Brand junkies. Brand junkies. Brand junkies. Back and better than ever. Uh, hey, Ken. Hey, Dave. We're excited to be in the studio once Woo! again. Hi, everybody. It's been too long. Took a little uh, mid-season hiatus there. And uh, now we're back with uh, lots of new podcast episodes, new guests. New information, new education, new entertainment. Woo! It's good, man. Yeah, it's good really to be a brand junkies. And uh, today we have one of our favorite people on the planet, That's actually. True. Uh, and a fabulous entrepreneur and a great marketer uh, and branding person, Michael Hinderleiter. Michael, thanks for joining us today, man. Yay! Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's always good to be here with the Dean of Power Wash. <laughs> the Dean. Yeah. Michael, so you are the Dean of Power Wash. You own PowerWash.com, which is the premier supplier of pressure washing supplies, equipment, training, right? You're also involved in other Power Wash businesses. You have Power Wash University, which mm -hmm. is the premier education portal and resource for uh, power washing and pressure washing. You have Phil Ackland Training School underneath your Power Wash University, the top kitchen hood exhaust cleaning. You have Facilitech, which is actually a professional kitchen hood cleaning services for restaurants in the Texas and Oklahoma areas. And then you have Steam Away, the pretty much premier power washing uh, company that goes out and does trucks and buildings and primarily fleet washing but yeah other power washing services too you but, yeah so if there's one thing you know it's cooking yeah. <laughs> you know a lot about pressure washing tell yeah, us a little yeah. bit about how you found yourself to become this entrepreneur and the, the king of all things pressure wash ah well um uh, well, I, well i would say fortunately i had a an entrepreneurial father when i grew up and uh i just he, he always encouraged me to do things that were, had a somewhat of an entrepreneurial spirit to it. And I, I would say the first thing that I did that was entrepreneurial, uh, if I can say that word correctly, was a friend of mine and I were talking about ways to buy candy and stuff. We were in second grade. And we, it was Christmas and said something about, you know, mistletoe, went back and forth and said, hey, let's go pick the mistletoe and go around the block and sell it to everybody. And that's where it started. I mean, it's just one of those little things. And so we went and bought mistletoe, bought some gum, and we're all happy and, you know, and 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 doing our thing. And then um, and from there, you know, I got into a little lawn mowing business and, you know, uh, and ended up uh, doing some tree trimming and things like that for a while. And eventually uh, started, uh, had to learn the family business because that's what my dad wanted me to do. And, uh, you know, dad, knowing that I wasn't always going to get along as a teenage boy with dad <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted my first car and stuff. Uh, I was encouraged to, uh, to take a, a power washer and go out and start working so that I could get that going and ended up buying my first car that way and stuff and, and just grew the business when I was in high school, got a truck, went on to college and paid my way through. So it was, it would I felt like I was I was fortunate in that aspect to have someone who encouraged me along those lines. So your dad was in the pressure washing business himself. Yeah. yeah. And he was selling parts and supplies or he was actually doing the, the labor he, part? We moved to the uh, Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex in 70, 71 or 73. I think it was 71. And he came, prior to coming here, he was an engineer. 
working for Cessna and Boeing between those companies in Wichita, Kansas. And he ran it. I don't know how he met up with somebody who was in the power washing there, but he worked weekends for six months learning how to do fleet washing. And so then he came to Texas and partnered up with some guys that were in the business. And he did that for 10 years. And when I was of working age, he was selling equipment and stuff. So that's, that's where I, I came in to start learning the power washing industry. I worked weekends and summers for him learning how to fix equipment before I ever started doing the service. Well, obviously planting those seeds has turned into a beautiful garden of business for you. But when, yeah. in the, when you're first, when you're young like that and your dad, as you said, wants you to learn the family business, how'd you feel about it then? Were you like, <laughs> oh yeah, pressure washing, man. I can't wait. The weekend's coming. No. I get to go do this. I was like, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> I want to play with my friends okay. and have fun. Um, but that was, that was at an earlier age. And so by the time I hit high school, you know, your, your dreams and aspirations change considerably from a, a young teenager to an old teenager. Cause now you're planning your senior future where you want to go. And I, I saw that there was an opportunity and I, and to go out and start working with the power washing side of things and start making income. And I, you know, I could do four to 10 times what my buddies were doing, working a job by out, by going out and producing and, and doing fleet washing, which was on the weekends, which I could work in while I was going to school. So do you remember when was that moment where you did have that transition from, hey, I'm just doing this, it's a side money, to realizing, wait, if I put the right pieces in place here, I can actually make some serious money and turn this into a full-on business, not just a job. Okay. Um, there were probably a couple couple times when that that affected me. <clears throat> The first one was when I worked worked summers with my dad, and I was seeing the the techs that worked within it, within the company there, and just kind of realizing that, uh, I, I, yeah, I was fourteen the first summer I worked there, and one of the guys I worked with I really got along good with, and he was he was in his mid thirties, and the next summer I came back, um, just as fourteen to fifteen year old matures, I came back, and we weren't like connected at all. And I really started looking at his lifestyle and realized that that's not where I want to be when I get to be 35. So that that kind of made me realize I wanted there was more that I wanted to aspire to with my life instead of just being, you know, a uh, an employee for somebody. Not that what he chose to do was a bad thing. It's just that it wasn't for me. And then the um, the second time <clears throat> was. I lost my train of thought. You're talking about the, the moments where you realized yeah. you can turn this into a business. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, the second time was was just wanting to be independent. You know, I wanted that independence and that that reward from being an entrepreneur. And that really came after the, you know, four summers of working with my dad and thinking that, you know, I'm going to go on to college. I want to get a degree. And and the entrepreneurial thing was more of a drive for me at that point to make the income to get through college. But once I started making the income to get through college, I just gained so much independence and uh, determination and, and self-pride in what I was doing and, and, and realizing that there was, there was a lot more than working for somebody. I graduated with an accounting degree, and I interviewed with a couple of agencies, and, and my friends all through college were like, there's no way you're going to be able to work with somebody. Okay. I was like, yeah, I can. I can handle it. I'll show you guys. Well, after I interviewed, I, I, I sat down and was like, 
him with the bride. <laughs> <laughs> I can't work for somebody. There's just no way I could do it. Well, I think you identified with that the worker that you had been spending time with and you looked at and said, I don't really want to do that. There's nothing wrong with that, but you have that entrepreneurial spirit. Not everybody does have that. And that's what separates right. entrepreneurs from other right. people. Not yeah. everybody is, a lot of people think, oh yeah, I could probably start a business or whatever, but either A, they don't do it. They don't go out and do it. They really don't have the capacity to do it, but they just don't have that drive in them to be an entrepreneur. And I think that separates entrepreneurs from other people. Yeah. And it, it, I think a lot of it comes down to how you, how you evaluate and how you view risk as well. Cause a lot of people who have a job feel secure. And, right. and I, on the, on the flip side of that, I don't feel secure if I have a job because I don't feel like I have control of my future. The person I'm working for has control of my future. I feel like if I, if I'm in charge and I've got multiple customers, which is like having a job for each one of those, if those go or come, if I have, you know, a large enough pool of those, I can always determine what my future is going to be. But if you're, if you're working, uh, you know, eight to five for, for a big firm, you know, the, Firms don't stay around like they used to. And you don't see people getting the gold watches when they retire anymore because they don't stay at those. They're always looking for moving up. So the employee, employee relationship is really, it, in our society today, seems very short term. And it's even for me, if I have somebody around 10 to 15 years, which is great, that means they're really they're, they're following what I'm doing as a leader. It's, it's not that common. Right. Yeah. So, so I, I'm interested in the journey from. I realized I was going to be an entrepreneur to I have five different brands that I run because <laughs> that's there's yeah. that's not a small jump. That's a big jump. So take us through the journey of, of that kind of transition and evolution. OK, for me, when when I got into doing the fleet washing, it was a great fit because fleet washing was on the weekends and I could go to uh, high school and then on to college during the week. And for those that don't know, fleet washing is when you go out and wash trucks. Yes. A, a whole fleet trucks. of delivery trucks, 18-wheelers yeah. that yeah. Com big companies have. There you go, yeah. The, um, maybe passenger vehicles, but mostly the tractor trailers that you see on the road with the, you know, the heavy-duty equipment that's getting moved, transportation stuff. Um, so that that's primarily what we what I'm doing there. But you threw me off. <laughs> I, I tend to do that a lot. It's my new hairstyle. Yeah. Right. So yeah, how did you go from being that yeah. singular entrepreneur to the five companies? Yeah, there you go. So as the company, as the company was starting to grow, and I was, and I, and during the summers when I, when I wasn't in school, I would try to do a lot of stuff, spring break, things like that. I would try to do other services, and even on the weekends, I would try to do other services to, um, you know, just to make a better income, and in after I graduated, had those conversations, decided I was going to stick with it. I really didn't get that aggressive yet till about 1993 because I was enjoying not having to go to college and, <laughs> and, and being a single guy, living life, right? And then um, in 93, I got real serious about it. And about, uh, we started an association called uh, Power Washers of North America, and it's still around today. And I met a few guys in there and I was noticing how so many contract cleaners, power washing contractors would offer multiple services, but they never really got good in one. And as I listened to more business tapes and things like that, I decided it was time to really focus on being a good fleet wash company. 
And that grew me in this market. I'm very well known in the DFW market for providing fleet washing services. Not only that, through the social media interaction, I've, I've become very well known for being the fleet washing company and a fleet washing guy, not just the being power wash. <laughs> but that's what kind of drew me there. So from there and, and focusing on this market, uh, I had a few winners in fleet washing that hit me pretty hard and took a loss because of the, you know, if, if you have and it happened. I had every weekend in the month of January, we lost, we couldn't work because it was so cold. And I, and I want to say that was the winter of 98, but it was back around that time. Uh, no, actually, it was earlier than that because I got in the kitchen exhaust in 95. Um, and it, it, it spurred me to realize that I needed another revenue stream to bring in the support. So uh, as I started looking, decided which one to go, ended up going into kitchen exhaust cleaning. And kitchen exhaust cleaning, I picked it is because it's not that affected by the weather. So even if it's freezing outside um, or you have rain, those don't impact that service. So I got into kitchen exhaust cleaning. Um, and then I kind of got duped. And, uh, I say I got, duped. I got, I got kind of suckered into the Phil Ackland thing because my dad in the power washing side did the training and stuff. <clears throat> and Phil uh, put this, excellent training resource together for kitchen exhaust cleaning. He really had a passion for doing high quality kitchen exhaust cleaning service and wanted to educate the industry. And he, he, he was having a tough time and he was struggling with it. And the idea came up, well, why don't me and a few other guys become partners and buy this and start pushing the training through my dad's business. And so, um, I was reached out to because I was kind of the conversation. They're like, all right, why don't we all put in this much? And and there you have it. I became an owner. <laughs> <laughs> I eventually bought everybody out. So now I, I own that brand. We offer them. We still offer the training. We still update the training. It's still great. So that's how I got into that. And eventually my dad retired. It was always the plan that I would buy him out. So when I bought him out, <clears throat> I rebranded the company, powerwash.com. And then all his training materials, I branded it to Powerwash University. So that's kind of... Um, how that whole process came into play. And I got there with all these different <laughs> brands and things that I do. So, so what's that like managing five different brands? Obviously they're all kind of like in the same general space using uh -huh. similar equipment and, and similar um, cleaning um, chemicals and, and stuff like that, but they're all unique and they all have a different brand voice. And obviously you're playing a major role in each one of them because you're a face for it. You're the Dean of power wash. Right, but how does how does that work? Because my gosh, I mean, Ken and I, you know, managing the agency in that brand is one thing, and then it's our job to manage other people's brands. But it's got to be a whole other thing to not just manage the brand, but also run the company. So, how how do you find time in the day? Yeah. <laughs> you spend one well, day a week per brand. How does that work? I think uh, it it can be very challenging at times. That's for sure, um, and stressful. But I mean. That goes along with the, the desire to have the challenge, though, and the desire to want to succeed is, is just part of it. Um, kind of like we talked about earlier, if you're not up for it, then you're, you really need to start thinking about how you're going to change things so that you're within a comfort zone. And it's also, I think it's part of a, a growth, an evolutionary process for me is I, I always want to be pushing myself to another level and, and then try to get myself to be a better person and, and and to see how much more I can do. Um, so that's part of it. The second thing is, I think as entrepreneurs, 
probably a majority of us do this. We get to a point where we're so overwhelmed. It's like, okay, what do I got to do? So I'm not overwhelmed. And, and I, and, and my scenario is I overwhelm myself, not just because, um, it kind of creeps up on me, but sometimes it's because I'm not in the right profit spot where I need, where I can hire somebody. So I'm just doing all this work to get it done to where I can get to where I can hire and train that person, bring that person on that can take that next piece of it. Um, with that being said, it, it's very important to have the right key people around you. And, and if you're, if y'all are doing a lot of interviews of entrepreneurs, you're going to find that, uh, I think it will be a pretty consistent thing is that knowing when to get rid of somebody is probably one, one of the hardest things to learn because, uh, I think entrepreneurs for the most part have a giving heart and they, and they, they, they want yes. people to succeed. Yes. And so they'll hold on to people too long. And, um, I don't do it as bad as I used to, but I, I, <laughs> I still find myself doing it at times and really trying to, to coach and nurture people along and thinking I've got this invested in them, but you really got to know when it's time to cut that, cut that. Cut. You know, you talked a little bit earlier when you were developing the business and you were listening to, you said, you said, yeah, I listened to some business tapes and things mm -hmm. like that. What are, because you're able to balance these brands and you, you built such great companies to all together, what are some of the resources you turn to? Who are some books that you read or tapes that you listen to or other business people that you look to for information and advice? Okay. I, I had, of course, I, I was pretty bullheaded as my grandpa used to say, <laughs> it was stubborn. Um, when I was younger and I just like, you know, I got this figured out, I could do it. And I never really listened to a lot of tapes. I was fortunate enough that when I was younger and we would go on family trips, my dad was always listening to tapes. And so those audio tapes would be in the, Oh, that sounds van. like a great wow. family trip. <laughs> <Exactly>. Sales training <laughs> tapes exactly. going up the five freeway. That's exactly what I had to listen <laughs> to. Zig Ziglar, baby. Yeah. All the way. <laughs> and I still remember when they could throw enough spaghetti on the wall and something's going to stick. <laughs> <laughs> those, 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 those stay there. Um, but um, what was your question again? Basically, who are some of those people okay, that you yeah. listen to in between Waffle House stops on the freeway so, with your dad? Yeah. The, so probably about, I would say about five to, to eight years ago, I would say more like eight years ago. I just like, when I took over my dad's business, I really found myself in a, in a, in a fog, mental fog because there was so much going on. The contracting side of the business was to me was very easy to run, but taking on a retail type inventory management, less people, but more informational controls and things like that. Um, and then having people in place that really knew the product better than I did made me pretty uncomfortable uh, when it comes to all the, the different parts. I mean, there's a vast array of parts that goes along with power washing and it's, it's, I know a tremendous amount, but there were still people on my staff that knew like the details better than I did, which is good. You want to have those people around. Um, so I found myself in a fog. And probably the, the book that helped me the most was Traction by Gino Wigman. And I, I highly recommend that book. And I'll go, I go back and read it every two to three years again, or I'll still reference back to it. That was a great book. The second book I really found that helped me out a lot was, um, oh, golly, um, Jocko Willink. Um, 
trying to think of the name of the book right now. Uh, he's he's who's a Navy SEAL. Oh yeah. And um, extreme ownership. Yep. Extreme ownership. And what I liked about it is is not only does he go through his experiences as a SEAL, he relates them to business and how they and and how he he interpreted the things he lo- he learned to a business application and goes through these consulting things that he was doing after he was a SEAL and how he went through the Iraqi war and that kind of stuff. And, and as a guy, you know, you kind of romanticize the whole fighting experience and Absolutely. how he brought that back and put it into a uh, transitional coaching program. You know, one of the things talking about personal development that I, I know just uh, because we're friends is that you take your own um, personal individual uh, self-care very seriously. I know that yeah. you work out a lot. I know that mm-hmm. you try and take, can you walk us through some of the things that you do on a daily basis? Because you are managing five companies. <laughs> uh, what are some things yeah. that you do to kind of <clears throat> improve yourself, keep yourself level-headed, make sure you don't go off the rails? Yeah. Um, and, and exercise is, ex- well, exercise is, is very important. I think it's easy. And I've been guilty of this over the past, like six weeks. I've, been in the gym about one to two times a week, which is not my normal. Usually I'm in the, in the gym three to four times a week. And in between going to the gym, I'm walking a couple of miles a day, um, to, you know, to, to get the cardio that goes, I'm not a big runner. Um, so running and in the, in the high intensity aerobic <laughs> type stuff bores me, but I, I, I enjoy lifting. So that's fun. And I find that especially after lifting the endorphins and things like that put me in a much better mood because doing all the work can really stress you out. So that, that's yep. super important. The other thing I learned over time is that not getting enough sleep creeps up on you way faster. And it, it that also inhibits your ability to deal with the stress very well. So, um, like I've been, I've been struggling with the, the edge of a, like a sinus infection. So I'm getting like nine hours of sleep right now every night wow. to, so that, so that doesn't come on yeah. and, and, um, and I'm doing good. So I know, I know I'll beat it, <clears throat> but sure. it'll take a few days because I have to give my body time to do that. And I, and I, re- and I've also noticed as I've gotten older, like I could, I could get by with six to seven hours of sleep when I was younger, um, pretty easy. And then when, the, and I could do that all week and then catch up on the weekend. It doesn't do me that good now. You know, I need to stay consistent almost daily, and I need to have those uh, the regular workouts to stay healthy because body wise and, and and mental, if if that's not there, you're you can't perform in in your management skills and keep your you know your your composure is much harder to keep and things like that when you're when you're not well rested and and feeling fit. It's it's also it's not that it's your perception of yourself. Right. So that's also a very big deal. So if, if I know I'm not getting sleep and I know I'm not working out well, then I, I actually become disappointed in myself. And, and that has an impact on how I perform as well. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So you've got to, you've got all these brands that you're doing. You're, you're, you serve a lot of service industry. You know, you're not B2C. You're not dealing direct to the consumers pretty much. Uh, we talk to a lot of marketing people. We have a marketing agency. A lot of people that listen to the podcast are all about marketing. What do you find to be the challenges and how do you overcome them? It's it's not always easy to market a service business, B2B. Like 
fleet washing. It's not easy to target those that audience because they're spread out over disparate industries. There's trucking in various industries of retail and shipping and here and there. How do you deal with the marketing of your various brands and dealing with those particular audiences? On the, I'll, I'll go through them. Truck washing is just, that's tough. <laughs> I mean, it's just tough, just like you said, because there's so many different um, categories of fleets out there that exist. You know, the first thing that anyone will come to mind is, oh, like, you know, you got the roadways and uh, 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 consolidated freights, you know, those, those that exist, actually, they're out of business. <laughs> Yellow freight, you know, and they're they're actually combined. But um, you know, uh, uh, FedEx, not FedEx, but FedEx um, over the road trucks, the big ones. You know, there there are just so many different fleets out there, and and those are the big brands that are easy to recognize. But really, where the market exists is in all the private fleets that are out there. Um, that could be beverage trucks, it could be uh, tankers, fuel tankers, uh, uh, pickup and delivery type private fleets, not the big ones like FedEx or UPS. Um, but there, there's, there's a ton of those out there that are anywhere from 10 to uh, 400 pieces of equipment where, you know, the big ones are thousands of pieces of equipment and they're nationwide, but every region has a small, you know, has, has those fleets. Those are hard to find. And generally those are, you know, you're just driving around on the weekends trying to find where the parks and you go back during the week and call on them. Very time consuming, but you're literally going out and hunting for you those. are really that's exactly what you're doing so the marketing aspect of that side is a little more challenging to try to get in front of those so you really have to do um more physical prospecting you know now like for kitchen exhaust cleaning you know it's easy to pull up an sic code and make some mailings to them or get on the phone and start calling them um versus compared to fleet washing you can't do that i mean you could get sic codes but and find out where the locations are but a lot of times they may have leased equipment and it's from another state and that's not even what's here locally. So it, that is a whole, it's, it's a challenge to go after that market. Yeah. It's a little bit of detective work that you got to go through there. Yeah. All right. So you offer uh, your fleet washing services. You got kitchen exhaust services, which is basically for the restaurant industry. And there's other people out there that are in that same business, but a lot of them are going after, there's a lot of restaurants out there that are one-offs mom and pop shops yeah. and things like that. Yeah. And I think an entrepreneur who's just working on their own as a one, two-man operation can theoretically build a business out of those. But I don't think necessarily that Facilitech, your business, is looking for the one-stop restaurants. Is that is that true? You're looking for more chain. Yeah, things, we, right? we do. We do more. We do more chains, but we it doesn't. We don't turn away mom and pops by by any means. We'll we we do just about everybody we can. But there definitely is a for us. We find that training and certification is very important and we're looking for those customers that value uh, a cleanly hood and reducing the risk of fire within the restaurants now there there is a and i call it a subcategory of the industry where there's guys that just run down and they 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 pick up a power washer and they say yeah i'm a power washing contractor now and they go out and they, they provide a service and they have no idea what they're doing when they get into kitchen exhaust cleaning and they clean what they think is clean, but they don't understand that, you know, that the National Fire Protection Association actually has some standards put in place on the how that system, or I shouldn't say how it is, but in place that dictate 
what is a clean hood and how it should be left and what should be documented when they're cleaning the hood to tell the customer. And if uh, a guy gets into the business and, and very easily doesn't understand this, he can find himself liable for a restaurant fire in the future. Well, yeah. Wow. How, do, how do the people, how do the end users, the customers protect themselves from vendors like that? How do they know if a guy comes in with a power washing machine yeah. and says, I can do this, how should they know the difference? That they should be asking for their certification. Yeah, which is the offer through Phil Ackland training. <laughs> <laughs> Trademark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you've got the two service industries. Then you've got PowerWash.com, which supplies mm-hmm. parts, equipment, and training. Um, how does that work? Because now you're going after, you're, you're actually feeding your own competition in True. a way, right? True. Well, we can't do everything, right? So, right. yeah. And, and we have, and we're a great resource of knowledge and expertise. So it it's, the, the idea is that we can help other people in other markets and help them. And, and there are times when there are people in my own backyard that we help as well. But my way of looking at it, if I'm helping that guy, he understands what he has to do and it brings him up to my level. And now I'm competing with someone who's at the same level and not somebody who's coming in that really doesn't know what they're doing and, and making a, and, and creating a bad reputation for our industry. So that's, that's the way I look at it. I think that's one of the things we've learned in our time knowing you is that, you're not really in all your, I mean, look, we all want to make money in business and you're trying to do that. But at the same time, you're trying to elevate the entire industry. You're trying to say, Hey, people should be certified, certified. We should be training people so that they're doing this safely and correctly. And consumers are getting what they want. At what point did you feel and why did you sort of take that on as opposed to just let me make as much as I can and screw the other guys? No, I'm glad you asked me that question. I was like, funny because when we were coming to this i was thinking about this last night (laughs) (laughs) um of course and i said i started in high school and uh i had this remote job out in the country where i was cleaning a guy's dump truck and he uh he actually had he was a few years older than me but he's friends with a guy that was in my class uh and i was in high school so it was about two or three years after high school he was in my class and they had some i think they were three wheelers back then might have been a four-wheeler Comes up, we're washing them off. I clean them up for him, and you know we have some nice chit chat. We go on, and then I see him a uh, a few months later, and he looks at me and he kind of chuckles. He goes, "You still doing that power washing thing?" I was like, "Really? I mean this this is a very viable profession that that I'm providing, and it's it's going to support it's supporting me. It's put me through college, and I." At that time, I didn't know I was going to stay with it forever, but it 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 really struck me. And, and when I looked around in the industry and went to events and saw other contractors and stuff, I mean, back then it was, you know, and I did it for a while myself. I was even guilty. You know, I, I wore just like ratty pants or shorts. I was out there in shorts, you know, which for, for fleet washing, you shouldn't be. And just old T-shirt or whatever, because I know it's going to get dirty, right? Well. You know, we didn't look professional. One, I've seen some of those old photos. They're yeah. great. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. So we really didn't look professional back when I first started because I, I knew I was going to get trashed. So I, I, I didn't care. I say trashed. I don't mean like drunk. I mean, covered in, <laughs> covered in all the backsplash that comes off of what I'm cleaning. So that, you know, I, 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 had, I took a lot of pride in what I did because, you know, I, I thought about 
the whole cleaning process and how to improve it and how to make it faster, how to make it better and how to cut time and become more profitable so that I could, I could beat the guys out there that were just, um, not really had that kind of mindset to make this a real business. I mean, it was my time. I wanted to get the most out of it. So the faster I could do it and still give the same quality, the more profitable I was going to be because I could do more work in the same amount of time. And that really came from being going to college and taking an economics class because they taught that in economics. And I don't know that I would ever have thought that. So I didn't waste all those six years that took me to get through there. <laughs> but, but that's what started driving me because it, it, it was frustrating to think that people thought of the power washing industry as just these rough guys, you know, that are at the bottom of the barrel. Who cares what they do? And, and, it, and, and even if you go on some of the places where we offer fleet washing services and they have equipment and a wash bay, the lowest guy on the totem pole is actually doing the power washing for them, which I'm kind of glad because that means they're going to fail and then they're going to need us <laughs> to wash their fleet. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's hilarious. Does it? So, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I think taking on that mantle of responsibility, and that's now brought yeah. you to being the dean of power wash right. at this particular place. I think you're recognized for your education. Yeah. So that would be the first one. And I kind of touched on it second, was that, you know, if if everybody can get up and understand what it takes to do the job and do it right, then we're all playing very similar on a field that means that this guy's not going to go out there and he's not going to actually underprice the job because he's going to end up making a customer unhappy because now he's going to cut corners. He knows what it's going to take and he knows how to hopefully price it properly. If he understands the business side of running the company too, not just how to do the service. So Michael, you've had this incredible entrepreneurial journey from when you were a small boy uh, selling mistletoe, which I didn't know that story. That's freaking phenomenal. Commercializing Christmas at an um, early age. <laughs> Second I love grade. it. I love it. Just got to get some more candy. To where you are now, I mean, you're, you're running these five different companies. You're doing incredibly well. What is what is some advice that you would give to uh, an entrepreneur or even another business owner that that maybe is, is already doing seven figures, but they're trying to take that next step? Because it's always about taking the next step, right? What is there any advice yeah. that you would just say, hey, look out for this? I think self-doubt is probably what, I mean, it, it even happens to me at times. It does. And, and I think every entrepreneur probably has a conflict with that, even when they start. And you need to surround yourself or at least attempt to do your best to surround yourself with people who are going to support you and, and be behind you and be encouraging and help you find solutions to the problems you're going to have as you're getting started in the power washing or any entrepreneurial type experience. Um, I've, I've had people that I've coached that have had spouses that were somewhat against them. And, and I straight up told them, I said, if, if your spouse isn't on board, you need to make a decision. <laughs> and, and it's one or the other, yeah. which the one I don't recommend you take is that to get away from your spouse or two, <laughs> Get them on board and help help them support you. Or I guess the third one. <laughs> Love power washing. <laughs> that's right. <Yeah. laughs> so, yeah. so so that's, you know, that can be difficult. And and sometimes and even even and I was extremely close to my grandfather um when I was growing up. He never 
really bought into that. He was of the mindset of working for somebody because he came up in that era where you worked. That was your security. That I mean, like working for the city. My brother-in-law worked for the city, and when he quit, my grandfather was upset at him. But, it, I mean, it, there was no future for him working at the city because right. he was in the Parks and Recs department. No. <laughs> Which that, makes a great TV sitcom. It does, but... <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, so he's out there mowing grass and doing that. I, I think those type of jobs, I think, are good starter jobs to pro- to promote you and, and, and build some character and responsibility, things like that. But I don't think those are long-term type jobs. So, you know, he saw that as, you know, you had health insurance, you had a retirement plan and all that. But that's not really where our society is today. and um, if you don't have family behind you, you need to find a support group outside of that. And there, and there really, there's lots of groups and, and people that get together through organizations and even paid type coaching programs that you can get into that would be very helpful. So that, that's what I would recommend. I think that more than anything, um, just keeping your mental, mental ag- uh, agility and positive mindset is probably one of the, the most important things to being able to be a good entrepreneur. I think real in particular, you pointed out something that every entrepreneur does feel, and that's that self-doubt. And yeah. I think there's different kinds of self-doubt. There's, there's the self-doubt that some people feel that's, um, oh, they're going to see through me. I'm a fraud or I'm not as good as I, you know, I think yeah. I am or as people think I might be. And I don't know that you suffer from that. That's because ego. I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It really is. It's yeah. ego. And yeah. you're an expert at what you do. So I don't know if that comes in, but then there's also the self-doubt of, I don't know if I can do this. I don't, this, this task may be too big or I may be too overwhelmed, as Dave said, to go to the next thing or take the next step. Can you identify, like, do you feel one or both of those? And when you do encounter that, how do you address it? I don't think you ever get away from either one of those. Um, but I think the best way for me has been to address it is if I can visualize where I'm going to go, and how I'm going to get there and have a roadmap or a plan in place, then, then my confidence rises. Then I can see it. But if I can't see, like I, like I talked about earlier, when I'm a, my head was in a fog, that made me crazy. And I really had a lot of self-doubt at that point. Um, and I had to find a way out of it. It's the, old, the Peterson principle. You know, we all excel to the point we fail. Well, I was in that stage, and I had to figure out how to get past it. We all can find education or ways to get through or learn more things to to grow ourselves, to, to move past those things. So um, once I, especially with the book Traction, once I got through it, I was like, oh, my goodness. To me, a lot of people talk about the e-myth yep. and how much they love the e-myth. E-myth frustrated me <laughs> because it's a concept. Okay, well, how do you implement the concept? Bingo. Traction is is the implementation of the concept. And so to me, that's the roadmap to the email. And that's why I like that book so much, because it just tells you how to put these things in place. And they're, they're not that hard to implement. I think you identified the thing that's probably the biggest, that causes a lot of that doubt for everybody, which is that uh, the, the unknown yeah. You know, you don't know how you're going to get into something. You're either covered in the fog or you're overwhelmed or whatever, and you don't know how you're going to deal with it. And that's yeah. when you start to feel all the anxiety that comes with it. But right. like you said, once you have a plan and you figure, okay, I still have to do all the work, but I know how I'm going to address it. It takes away a lot of the anxiety that you otherwise feel. It's that chaos, and impending it's, chaos. And it's implementing that plan. 
It's not just looking at the plan and saying, okay, yeah, I got the plan. Um, I want to learn more about this now. Uh, you know, I want to learn more about that. And then you just don't ever do it. You've got to take the action to start implementing that process. And once you start doing it, you're going to have failures and, and don't beat yourself up over the failures. Learn from them and say, okay, that was, that wasn't the exact way to do it. Let me tweak it, do it this way now and just keep doing it. I paraphrase, but I think it was Napoleon that said, you can plot and plan all you want, but at some time, the time for planning ends and you must take action. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, Michael, I really appreciate you being with us today. I know our audience does too. Um, if people want to check out what you're doing or reach out to you, what would be the best way for them to do that? Oh, well, message me on Facebook or hook up there. Um, shoot me an email, mike.hinderleiter at steamway.com. And, um, or the toll-free number to uh, powerwash.com is 1-800-433-2113. Hey, look, a guy that knows a phone number That's in crazy. the 21st century. <laughs> this is weird. Yeah. yeah, I had a throwback moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. Again, Michael, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, hey, if you're enjoying the show, do us a favor. Leave us a review and rating on iTunes. It really helps to grow the show. Check us out on YouTube. Uh, until next time, catch you later, junkies. Right.